Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us. Father, we are we're just excited to move into this time of worship when we can open the truth of your word. Lord, I thank you for how you've spoken to us through the songs and the prayer. Lord, I just pray that as we open the truth of your word, you would speak clearly to us. Lord, help us to see all you would have us to see, to understand, Lord, who you've called us to be, how you've called us to live. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, I pray we would be transformed more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. We live in a world of excess warnings. Now, let me tell you what I mean. We live in a world of weather warnings. There's a thunderstorm warning today. Not really, but we hear that often. There's a tornado warning. There's a freeze warning. There's a flash flood warning. We live in a world of traffic warnings. Warning, there's been an accident downtown and traffic is moving very slowly. Warning, the state patrol is out in force today. You need to slow down or you're going to get a ticket. We live in a world full of disease warnings. Warning, there's a, there's a new bug that's resistant to antibiotics. Have you heard that one lately? That's kind of the latest one going around, right? Warning, there's a new strain of flu that's going to kill all these people, right? We live in a world of food warnings. Warning, there's been salmonella discovered in five cans of tomatoes. So just to be safe, we're going to destroy all the tomatoes on the planet for the next three months. Just to be sure nobody gets salmonella poisoning, right? Warning, the coffee that you're drinking is hot. And if you spill it in your lap, things are going to hurt for a few weeks, right? Warning, eating too many fast food burgers is going to make you gain weight rapidly, right? Warning after warning after warning. I believe that we experience warnings so often that when we hear them, we've gotten to a place we just ignore them, don't we? We just ignore them. I bet the last time you heard there was a tornado warning, you didn't run out into the hallway and get your book and kneel down until it passed, did you? You know what you did? You walked outside to see if you could see the tornadoes. Do you see it anywhere? Is that it over there? Right? We get warned so often that they just become commonplace and we just fail to do anything about them. We just kind of ignore them. We just kind of set them aside. But I want to caution you. When the Lord warns us about something, we need to take heed. Right? Because time and time and time again, the Lord warns us about certain things in Scripture. And there's a warning this morning that I think we need to listen to and study and take very seriously. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Now let me warn you. (laughs) The Lord's going to speak to you this morning if you'll let him. And the scary thing about listening to the Lord and obeying the Lord is when you get to the point of truly following Him in all things, you never know what He's going to ask you to do. That can be both exhilarating and it can be terrifying all at once. So we're in Matthew chapter 7 this morning. This is actually week 15 of our Upside Down Sermon Series and it's the last week. We've spent the last 14 weeks studying through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. 
It's a Sermon on the Mount, and we've called it upside down because I believe, and I think you've seen it time and time again, that everything the Lord commands us to do in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is opposite from what the world says. If you're serious about being a follower of Jesus Christ, you ought to look different than everybody else. You shouldn't live your life like the world lives their life. You should live, at least in the words we've used over the last several weeks, upside down. So we're going to be this morning in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to divide this into kind of three areas. We're going to begin in verse 15. I think we have these on the screen for you as well. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 15. Christ is going to give us three very clear warnings this morning. We're going to think through and begin to figure out how we can apply to our lives. Verse 15, watch out. There's the first warning. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, or therefore, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And we're going to stop there for a minute and take a look at point number one. Here's the first warning you need to see this morning. Number one, we must be aware of false teachers. We need to be aware of false teachers. And I'm going to tell you something that may surprise some of you. It's kind of a news flash, right? You ready for this? There are people in this world that are going to intentionally try to deceive you. Can you believe that? (laughs) The longer you live, the clearer that becomes, right? There are people that are going to try to lie to you. They're going to try to cheat you. They're going to try to steal from you. They're going to be dishonest in some way to exploit you and deceive you. Now, some of those people are very obvious. You can see them from a mile away. I'm not going to talk to that guy because I know he's going to lie to me. You know those kinds of people. But then there are other people that are going to deceive you and they're going to do it in a very smooth way. They're going to say all the right things. They're going to sound very convincing. They're going to trick you. And oftentimes you may not even know you're being tricked. Jesus describes these people as a wolf in sheep's clothing. They're very sneaky. They're very shrewd. They're disguised as something harmless. But inside they're incredibly dangerous. Now here's the problem with this analogy. I look. At this text description, I read through this and I think to myself, I've never actually been around a lot of sheep. Maybe you have. I've certainly never been around a lot of sheep where there was a wolf prowling around trying to kill one of the sheep. I've never experienced it. I can read about it. I can study it. I can try to understand it. But I've never experienced a wolf sneaking into the fold and trying to eat a sheep. So I thought to myself, what's kind of a modern example? What's a way we can better understand this? I started thinking about a computer virus. Now I want to do just kind of a a little poll here. I want you to raise your hand if you've ever dealt with a computer virus, either at work or at home. Raise your hand. Look at that. Now keep them up. Keep them up. This is going to be very interesting. I'm curious to see how this turns out. If you had an incredibly good experience when that happened, I want you to keep your hand up. Satisfied and happy. Really? Really? 
Now, wouldn't it be nice if when the computer virus came to invade your computer, you turned on your screen one morning and it said, hi, right, smiley face. I'm a computer virus and my desire is to delete your entire hard drive and give you a headache for the next three weeks. Is that okay? Check yes or no. Wouldn't that be nice, right? We would all check no because we don't want a computer virus. We don't want the headache that goes with it. But you know what a computer, computer virus does, I said? It, it kind of sneaks into your email, doesn't it? And it reads all of your contact lists. And it finds somebody that you know and that you trust. And it mimics an email from that person, right? Oh, look, John sent me an email this morning. Hey, click this link to see a really funny picture. I wonder what picture John sent me today. It must be something. You click it, right? And all of a sudden, there's a computer virus that wreaks havoc on your hard drive. Seems harmless, it seems simple, it seems funny, and yet it's incredibly destructive. Christ says there are false teachers that do this. There are people that are going to deceive you and trick you and lie to you and lead you astray. Now, I want to be clear about this. Christ is very clearly in this context of Matthew chapter, chapter 7 talking about people that infiltrate the church, infiltrate the flock, infiltrate groups of believers. So maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's a false teacher, maybe it's a deacon, whatever that looks like in various different contexts. But Jesus says we need to be aware and warned that there are people that are going to try to lead us astray. But here's the question we ask. Great, so I need to be alert. I need to be on the lookout. But how am I supposed to tell the sheep from the wolves? Well, Jesus gives us a litmus test. It's very clear here in chapter 7, verse 16 and following. Jesus says the way you're going to know these people is by the fruit that they bear. A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. You say, great, that's a a really interesting analogy. But what does it look like when a person produces fruit? (laughs) Are they going to sprout fruit? Are they going to bring me something from their garden? How am I supposed to know when somebody's producing good fruit and bad fruit? Well, Paul kind of alludes to this in Galatians chapter 5. You don't have to turn there, but I want to read to you a passage where Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit. And Paul kind of gives us this comparison he says, here's the way that evil people live and sinful people live compared to the fruits of the Spirit. So Paul says in Galatians 5 verse 19, the acts of the flesh, and these are the evil acts, are obvious, Paul says. You can, you can spot them a mile away here. He lists them. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, and this is Paul speaking in Galatians. As I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now he's going to go right into verse 22 to the fruit of the Spirit. Now if you're like me, I was kind of convicted about this a little bit this week. If you're like me, when I get to this passage in Galatians 5, my mind and my my thoughts and my, my eyes just kind of immediately go to verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit, and he goes through the list, love, Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's kind of the picture of the fruit of the Spirit. And I, I usually think about the fruit of the Spirit and how I need to live my life to do these things. But the Lord kind of convicted me a little bit this week as I was studying through this and reading through this. Because I started reading the acts of the flesh and I thought to myself, you know, if I was honest and we were all honest with each other, sometimes we have hatred in our hearts, don't we? Sometimes we're jealous Sometimes we get angry. Sometimes we're selfish. 
Sometimes we, we cause dissension and, and factions. Sometimes, sometimes we're envious of other people. And I was just reminded that not only do we need to try to live with the fruit of the Spirit, but we need to be clear in our hearts and we need to be aware of the flesh and how it takes over our lives and how it can mold us and shape us to the bad. But Paul gives us the list here of the fruit of the Spirit and Christ says you know a person by the fruit that they bear. Are they living a life that shows love? That's the fruit of the Spirit. Are they displaying joy in their hearts? Are they at peace? Are they kind? Are, are they displaying in the words of Paul the fruit of the Spirit? Because we need to be very clear and we need to be very careful. There are people even within the church that want to lead us astray. Now I want to say something. I want you to kind of understand where I'm going with this. Just because a person has a television show doesn't mean they're speaking truth, right? Just because a person writes a book doesn't mean they're speaking truth. Newsflash, be careful now, just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true, right? So Christ warns us, be careful. He says, you're like sheep that need a shepherd. Here's the interesting thing about sheep. Again, I'm not a shepherd, but I've studied and understand a little bit about how sheep live and how they operate. And here's the interesting thing about sheep. Sheep are totally defenseless. They, they can't fight back, right? They don't have massive horns. They're not very fast. Apparently, they're not real intelligent. <laughs> they kind of blindly, dumbly just kind of walk around eating food, and they go wherever the shepherd leads them. And so the Lord says, Christ says, I'm the good shepherd, right? Part of what I do is protecting the flock. John 10, he gives this vivid example. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd, and does not own the sheep. So when the sheep, excuse me, so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus says as, as leaders in the church, as pastor or as deacon or as Sunday school teacher or as some leader within the church, you need to guard the flock against the wolves that will try to attack. I just thought through this a little bit this week and I was kind of thinking about all the different ways in which we're led astray. And sometimes if we're not careful, we become sheep that are led astray. And I started thinking about how we need to be on guard for so many things. And I started thinking about all the things that we put into our minds. And I thought, you know, we need to be on guard with the books that we read, don't we? We should be. Just because it's written by a Christian author doesn't mean it's true. We need to be on guard with the movies and the television shows that we watch. Let me just step on your toes for a second, okay? Just because you've become accustomed to watching it and numb to the profanity doesn't mean it's okay. Can we just be honest with each other? We we need to be on guard with the people that we interact with, don't we? We need to be careful because there are people that we allow into our lives that we begin to listen to and follow that will speak lies into our hearts. If we're not careful, we begin to follow those people. Students, juniors, and seniors, let me talk to you just for a second. You need to be on guard with the school you choose to attend next fall. How many students, when preparing to go to college, spend time praying about what the Lord would have them do? Now now listen, I'm not saying all students need to go to Bible college or seminary. I'm not saying that at all. We need godly Christians in public institutions, but here's the question you need to be asking. Am I praying about what the Lord would have me to do? 
Am I praying about where he would have me attend? Am I guarding my heart? Am I being sure that I'm following Christ and not following the world? Because the Lord is clear here in chapter 7. There are people and there are things that will lead you astray. We must be on guard. Now verse 21. Jesus says, not everyone, and this may be the most challenging part of this sermon today and maybe of the entire Sermon on the Mount. Because it strikes a chord in our hearts. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Here's the second warning we see this morning. We must be sure that we aren't false followers. Christ has already warned us about false teachers, people, and things that will lead you astray. Now he's warning us about false followers, about false believers. People that say they're believers. People that say they're Christian, but they don't really follow Christ. Now I want to be very clear here this morning as we kind of think through this. According to the words of Christ, just talking about the things of the Lord is not enough to save you. I need to be very clear there. It's always amazing to me when I have conversations with people about salvation, if you ever get a chance to talk to them about their walk and about their faith. If they don't know Christ or they're not sure about salvation, sometimes it ends up like this. They say something like this. Well, I just hope... That one day when I die, I've done enough good stuff to get me into heaven, right? We've all heard that. It's almost as if the Lord has got this scale, right? And he's going to take all all your good deeds, all the nice things you've done, all the kind remarks you've made, all the the good-hearted gestures you've given throughout your life, he's going to put them in this one bin, and he's going to take all the bad things you did, all the thoughts and the actions and the anger, he's going to put them into another bin, and he's going to balance them out, right? And there's this scale going back and forth, and you're just kind of waiting I hope the good outweighs the bad. I need to tell you something with absolute certainty. That's not what the scripture teaches. If you are living your life hoping that you've done enough good stuff that one day you can eventually get into heaven, you're going to be very disappointed. Because Christ is clear over and over and over again. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 kind of summarizes it. I want you to listen to this passage of scripture. For it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Right? It's not about how many good things you do. It's very simply about your relationship with Christ. Now last week was Easter, as as I'm sure you're all aware And I always struggle a little bit with Easter. Easter is kind of a a difficult... I mean, I love Easter and I love what it represents, but I struggle a little bit with what to preach because I understand that there are going to be people at Easter that won't be at church any other Sunday of the year. I praise God they're there one Sunday. But I kind of just almost get this panic as I kind of prepare for that week because I feel like I've got one chance, right? Now, I realize the Holy Spirit's in charge, and I get all that, but I just think, you know, the Lord gives me one chance with these people, so I always try on Easter to be just as clear as possible. That's why we use the doors. I mean, it's just there's a clear path, either a path to righteousness and the things of the Lord or a path to the world and a path to destruction. It's very clear. 
And when people walk away from Easter, at least from Rosemont, I want them to have a very clear understanding of of who Christ is and what the resurrection meant, but of the choice that they've been given. So I want to be clear again this morning as we walk through this passage. I just don't want you to walk away and it be fuzzy in your mind and kind of confusing. I just want to be clear about a couple things. According to the words of Christ, according to what Jesus says in this text, I want to list a few things here that are very clear. Just showing up to church won't save you. Let's just be clear about that. Just being a member of a Sunday school class won't save you. Just giving money to a local church or a missions organization won't save you. Now, at the risk of stepping on toes, I want to be careful here because I'm going to unpack this here in just a second. Just walking down an aisle when you were a kid and saying a prayer that you didn't mean won't save you. I mean, one of the things that just kind of keeps me awake at night thinking are all the people in churches that I fear think that they've done what they're supposed to do. They said this little prayer, and they've never done anything else. I think this warning ought to just ring clear in our hearts. Because Jesus says, you're going to know a fruit, a tree by the fruit it bears. And so if you walked down an aisle when you were a kid and said a prayer and meant it and the Lord worked in your heart and you see fruit, then praise the Lord. But if you walked down an aisle when you were a kid and you said a prayer and you never looked back and it never meant anything to you, you didn't do anything with it, there's absolutely no fruit in your life that you're living for Christ or serving Christ or willing to follow him to the ends of the earth, you may want to examine your hearts. Now, far be it for me to talk about your salvation. That's between you and the Lord. I have no desire to try to figure out whether or not you're saved, but you ought to. I mean, folks, we're talking about eternity in the balance here. And Christ gives us a warning. There will be people on that day that have prophesied in my name, that have preached in my name, that have cast out demons in my name. But the Bible says he's going to say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doer. You say, wait a minute now. I don't know. You're you're telling me there's somebody that could have done all these good things, all these deeds, all these works. Right There's the scale again. You're telling me somebody could have done all these things and one day they're not going to go to heaven. Let me remind you of Judas. Maybe this clearest picture in all the New Testament of a man who saw Christ with his own eyes. Just imagine being Judas, right? He sees Jesus walk upon the water. He sees Jesus heal the blind. He sees Jesus feed the 5,000. He sees Jesus raise the dead. He sees Jesus do all of these things, and yet in the end, he betrayed Christ, didn't he? I think there's absolutely scriptural precedent to say it's not about what you do. It's not even really about what you say. It's about whether or not you have a relationship with Christ. You know, when I was a kid, I was a huge NBA fan. I I, I still enjoy basketball, but my favorite player was Larry Bird, right? Now, I was an Atlanta Hawks fan, so I liked Dominique Wilkins and those guys, but they never won a whole lot. Larry Bird won all the time, and he was cool. And so I had this, I had this life-size poster of Larry Bird in my room, life-size. He's about 6'9", so it was like literally doors were about 7 feet tall. It was the size of my door, and, and the bottom of the poster was the bottom of his shoe, and it went all the way to the top of his head. 
And I had this little Nerf basketball going. I don't tell anybody. I was pretty cool back then. But every now and then, I would close the door and pretend like I was Larry Bird. You know, and I'd shoot, and I'd keep stats. Real nerdy, right? Behind closed doors. That's why I never had a girlfriend in high school. I was too busy playing basketball in my room and pretending I was Larry Bird. We're going to move on past that, though. I like Larry Bird, right? I could tell you all about Larry Bird. I could tell you his statistics, how many points he scored. I could tell you all about his championships. But here's the thing about Larry Bird. I knew all there was to know about Larry Bird, but I didn't know Larry Bird. Never met him. I could tell you where he played in college. I could tell you the state he was from. I could tell you his free throw percentage back then. I could tell you all these things. I never one time had a conversation with Larry Bird. I fear too many people in our churches fall right into this category. They know all about Jesus. They just don't know Jesus. They know the verses. They know the stories. They know what they're supposed to say. They just never had a relationship with Christ. I just want to, as, as, as much as I can, with all the love in my heart, say to you, you need to figure this out. You need to get this right. It's not about what you say. It's not even about the games that you play. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And our desire to follow him and everything is because Christ warns us there are false followers. And the day will come when they'll say, Lord, Lord, but they will not be allowed to enter the kingdom of heaven because they never did the will of his Father in heaven. Now we need to finish up. Verse 24. Therefore, Christ says. Now remember, we've been studying this for 15 weeks. This is one sermon Christ probably preached it in maybe an hour. We don't know how long it took him. But everything he said now, right? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Here's the third truth we need to see this morning. We must be careful not to build a false foundation. We need to be careful not to build false foundations. Jesus says, I'm going to give you these words, I'm going to give you this truth, and then if you put them into practice, it's like building your house on a rock. It's like building your house on a firm foundation. I I grew up with a dad who all my life drove a car with a manual transmission. When I was really young, it was a VW Bug somewhere in the 70s, one of those models, right? A little like Herbie, right? Herbie? If you're over the age of 40, you know Herbie. If you're under 40, don't worry about it. Look it up on Netflix, okay? But we drove Herbie around. That's what we, I thought it was so cool. It was a manual transmission. And when that car finally died and, and got a little older, Dad sold it and he got a little Honda Civic. It was also a little manual transmission. I think my dad just enjoyed manual transmissions. They were kind of fun to drive. And so from the earliest memories of my life, I can remember sitting in that passenger seat. By, by the way, I don't even know if I had I certainly didn't have a car seat. Probably didn't have a seatbelt on, right? So amazing we all survived the 70s. But I would sit in the front seat with my dad. 
He'd drive that little VW bug around and I'd watch him change those gears. I mean, I could tell you all about how the clutch worked, man. Push the clutch in and change. First, second, third. He had to push, you know, the old stick shift. He had to push down and back on that little VW bug to get it in reverse. I could tell you about how to downshift. I knew everything there was to know about driving a stick shift until I turned 15. And dad said, son, you're going to learn how to drive this manual transmission. Now, Students, I guess I should say this, a manual transmission is where you push the clutch and the gear moves at risk of somebody not knowing what that is, right? And so dad put me in this car. And you think you know everything there is to know about driving a stick shift until you have to learn to actually drive one. Now my grandmother lived in Villarica, Georgia. At that time, very rural, a lot of rural roads. And after church on Sunday morning, we would always go to the big farmhouse in Villarica and we'd get on these roads. Dad and I would go driving on these roads. And I can remember I'd been driving for a few months and I was kind of getting the hang of it and, you know, hitting the clutch and downshifting and everything was perfect until one day dad said, I want you to turn down this little road. Okay, sure, whatever. I didn't know. He knew exactly where we were. And we drive down this road for a couple minutes and we come to a stop sign and there's nothing wrong with a stop sign driving a stick shift transmission unless it's on an incline, Right? Those of you that's driven one, you know this, right? This must have been 80 degrees. I mean, it looked like... It looked like we needed some ropes to kind of hoist up, you know, to the top. And we get there and we stop, and I'm just thinking, I don't know if I can do this, right? So I just, you know, if you don't know how to do it, you, you either spin out and you don't go anywhere because it's up a hill, or you kill the transmission. You just, you just die. The car dies. So I killed it probably four or five times. I'm getting frustrated. There's cars behind us. You know, horns are starting to blow. I'm, you know, I'm out the window like this. Wave five or six cars. You know, we've been sitting there about ten minutes, and I finally just said, "I can't do it." And I put it in neutral, and I pulled the emergency brake, and I got out of the car. Dad, I'm sorry. So I, you know, I got out. And I went, and he got in. And man, just went right up that hill. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly how to drive that thing. Here's how that relates to our walk with Christ. I think too many people spend a lifetime reading about the Christian life studying the Christian life, even riding along somebody else who models it, that I wonder how many of us have actually taken the wheel and tried to live our lives for Christ in all things. We're experts on our walk with Christ until we actually have to do it, aren't we? We're experts on how we ought to live until we actually try it. But Christ gives us this very clear warning. It just, it just, he just kind of summarizes everything. If you'll just listen to what I say. If you'll just take these words and put them into practice, you will build your house on a rock. I wonder how many of us are living like Christ says we should live. How many of us are listening to his words, putting his words into practice, and not just talking the talk, but we're walking the walk. And then we finish up this morning, verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So Jesus finishes up this sermon, probably in my estimation, in the estimation of most scholars, the most profound and famous and important sermon ever preached. He's taught us to be different, to look different. He's taught us about true blessings. 
He's taught us how to give. He's taught us how to pray. He's taught us how to fast. He's taught us how to love others like he loved ourselves, like we love ourselves. He's challenged us over and over and over again. But here's the question. As we wind this 15-week sermon series down to these last few moments, here's the question we need to ask ourselves. How, after all this and we're done, do I continue to live my life upside down? Here's what you don't need to do. (laughs) Get in line this afternoon at the buffet and go, I'm sure glad that's over. I'm tired of living upside down. (laughs) Back to the old life, right? That's not who Christ calls us to be. See, here's what... Many of us already know and others that don't will figure it out very soon. Life is full of difficulties, isn't it? It's full of challenges. It's full of ups and it's full of downs. And, you know, you can take this to the bank. As hard as we try and as difficult as it may seem, we are going to make mistakes. And we're going to falter and we're going to fall down. So I want to leave you with two very simple words. If you don't remember anything else that this series is about... If you don't remember anything else that we've taught, anything else that the Lord has said in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, I want you to remember these two words. In all things, trust Christ. Just trust Christ. Because if you do that, you're going to live your life upside down. And the Lord's going to receive honor. And the Lord's going to receive glory. And I will promise you this. If you trust him and seek him in all things and follow his teachings through you, he will literally change the world for his honor and his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the challenge of your word. Lord, it's just always so clear. And it's so compelling and it's so convicting, Father. Help us to heed these warnings. Help us to be aware of people that would lead us astray, Father. Help us to, to be aware of our own salvation and our, and our own convictions in our hearts, Father. Help us to build a strong foundation, not on the things of the world, but on the things of Christ, Father. Not just talking about how we live for Christ, but actually living. Actually giving, actually sacrificing for the Lord, following Him even to the ends of the earth. Father, I pray that we would continue, even though we're done with this series, to live our lives upside down. I pray that we would look different. I pray that we would act different, Father. I pray that people would see us and want to have what we have, not because of who we are, but because of who you are in us. May we continue to march forward doing your will, seeking you in all things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity to come and pray at the altar. As always, it's open. I just want to challenge you, maybe some of you for the first time this morning have been convicted by the truth that you know all there is to know about Christ, but you don't know Christ. I'd be happy to talk with you more about that. If you want to join this church, this is your time now. As you respond, we're going to sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.